Mother's Day is around the corner. Find the perfect gift for the mom in your life with a stunning piece of jewelry from Blue Nile. From timeless pearls to dazzling gemstones, Blue Nile has something she'll adore. Need it fast? Most items can ship overnight. Plus, enjoy guaranteed free shipping and returns. Don't miss our special Mother's Day deals. Save big on the season's most beautiful trends. For a limited time, get up to 50% off by going to BlueNile.com. That's BlueNile.com. There's a new champion in the QMJHL, and we're going to talk all about them, where they go to next, and a whole lot more in a very busy last seven days in the QMJHL. This is THN on the Q, brought to you by BetMGM. As always, I'm Will McLaren. He's Jamie Tozer. And Jamie, well, I'd ask you where you've been for the last week or so, but uh, we spent a fair amount of that uh, side-by-side in the press box at Scotiabank yep. Centre watching a new league champion uh, get crowned. Uh, the Quebec Grand Prix, of course, uh, defeating the Mooseheads in Game 6 on Sunday night. Uh, two nights ago, we're taping as per our typical time slot on Tuesday night. Uh, Jamie, first of all, great to have it was, it was all, like we had a lot of great show material we were coming up with stuff that our oh. producer Connor Somerville would never green light ever no. like we probably like we probably should have just you know, like just one of us should have just had had our uh, phone on video yeah. like for the entirety and yeah. yeah exactly like, probably a final episode sort of thing but <laughs> at the end of the day it would have been great you know somebody would have latched on we could have caught on somewhere else would have been awesome but uh, you know while while we were you know doing whatever it is we were doing uh, up, uh, upstairs. Of course, the uh, games were taking place uh, down at ice level. And, uh, Jamie, I want to get some of your thoughts on uh, what we saw from really game three onward because the series was tied 1-1 last time we uh, chatted. Yeah, well, it really felt like uh, a bad situation for Halifax after they dropped those two games on home ice to go down to 3-1. Um, but at the same time, it was like you can't doubt the Mooseheads anymore. They keep putting themselves in these spots and they've managed to get out of them every single time. Um, and then it looked, kind of felt like they were going to do it again. They had a pretty much a, a, a statement win in Quebec in that game, uh, game five packed building. Uh, obviously all the pressure was on Quebec in that situation. A lot of pressure to, to win on home ice, but uh, Halifax managed to pull it off and save their season, bring it back to Halifax. And it was, it was, feeling like Halifax might force a game seven um, halfway through that game. Uh, Moose had to go up two nothing. Uh, but then in the third period, Quebec ties it at three, three early on. Um, and then Zach LaRue, everyone's favorite uh, in, in, amongst the Rempires fans, I'm sure uh, ties it kind of a, kind of a weird, I would say it's a bit of a weak goal on William Ru- or on William Russo, to be honest, um, mm-hmm. puts Halifax up. 4-3 at 16-47 of the third. Um, but then uh, Kasim Gaudet ties it again just over a minute later with a absolutely ridiculous shot. <laughs> like, this is probably yes. one of the best shots we've seen from any player all year. Uh, literally mm-hmm. got stuck in the net. Um, and then, you know, it was feeling like overtime, which, you know, everyone up in the press box loves. Uh, especially yeah, Will. Especially overtime. the guy sitting beside me. Will, yeah. Will, Will loves overtime. <laughs> And eight o'clock starts and nationally broadcast games. Oh, it's with awesome. Lots of TV timeouts. It's awesome. It's awesome. But then hey, all got, I can say yeah. is thank, thank, thankfully, I'll, before you continue, Jamie, yeah. thankfully they were serving coffee up in the press box because oh, uh, I don't know. I don't know what would have happened otherwise. Yes. 
and it was nice and old and kept you awake. So go on. <laughs> uh, that was good. That's good. Uh, but then Godet uh, on a two on none sets up uh, Pierre Olivier Wah uh, with 58.5 seconds left, puts uh, Quebec up 5 4, just a, a shocking final couple minutes. Um, and then they hang on to win it. Um, and, you know, honestly, the game, it felt a little bit like the series in a way because it felt like Halifax was right there until the end. And then Quebec was just that extra bit better um, in all aspects of the game. And it kind of it, it reminded me a little bit of the Sherbrooke series, honestly. And even though that series ended in a sweep, we know it was extremely close. Um, and it just felt like Quebec was just that extra bit better than Sherbrooke. And it felt like that in this series as well. It felt like Quebec was just that extra little bit better. Uh, than Halifax and and they are certainly worthy of winning that series and uh, the Q championship. Yeah, and and you're absolutely right, uh, Jamie. Because the one thing Quebec Rampart had that the Mooseheads did not was experience mm-hmm. of a long playoff run. Obviously, you know Halifax had select players. Alex Doucette uh, had a long run in, in you know with Valdor. Uh, that was three seasons ago, two seasons ago, I should say. Uh, he wasn't you know as big of a part of that as he was in Halifax this year, where he tied with Josh Lawrence, another guy who has a Memorial cup experience. They both tied for the uh, scoring lead in the playoffs, but Quebec had a roster. They had a full roster of guys uh, for the most part that had been to the semifinal last year. They were within a game of advancing to the final loss to Schwinnigan in game five, of best of five. So they, they had that in, in the, their back pocket, both the experience and the hunger to uh, improve on uh, what they had done last year. Um, and then, of course, they go out and, uh, during the trade period and, uh, you know, who's the first guy that they, they get, the guy who'd been rumored since last summer that was headed to Jackie. Quebec and just, yeah, exactly. It seem, seems like we heard that rumor around 1994 <laughs> there, but Justin Robidoux was headed to the, to the Rampart. And, um, and there's another guy who did play, you know, a, you know, kind of a critical role as a rookie in that uh, 2021 or in the second year player, I should say, in that 2021 Valdor run as well. So, uh, you know, this is year two of two for Quebec. They had two kicks at the can. They got it on the second go and Halifax is kind of in that same boat. Um, obviously, they lose right off the hop three very critical overagers in Lawrence and Doucette. And Evan Boucher, who scored a, a number of big goals throughout this playoff run. But at the end of the day, they set themselves up for a good solid two years. And, you know, I wouldn't be surprised if this time next year, Jamie, we're saying the same thing about the Halifax Mooseheads as we are saying right now about the uh, Quebec Rampart. But, you know, you talk about close games. The last four were all decided by a single goal. And the last three minutes of that game, game six, I think was kind of the series in a nutshell. Um, not just because of the experience of the round power, but, uh, you know, everybody's banged up and bruised and, and whatnot. Uh, but Halifax was the only team of those two that physically had guys who, who were unable to uh, be in the lineup. Guys like Atilio Biasca. So there's your captain right off the bat not in the lineup. Um, David Morovich, uh, which you could really tell in the latter stages of game six, Jamie, and we we commented on it, um, just the fact that, you know, you had two rookies out there uh, on defense in a one-goal game, in a tie yeah. game at one point, yeah. in uh, Jack Martin, who had a great game six, we'll say that much, a goal and assist in that uh, final game of the uh, Q playoffs. 
as well as fully fellow Hiroki Owen Phillips. Um, that's generally not what you see yep. from a team uh, in at that stage of the season. But uh, Moose says they, they had no choice. They they had to go with yep. what they had, and they. I, I agree with you. I think they stretched it out pr- probably as far as they could. Yeah. Yeah. And like you mentioned, not ideal to have those young defensemen out there in the third period of a tie game and in the league final of an elimination game. Um, but what, what a great experience that like those guys probably wouldn't get, wouldn't get otherwise if the, if the Mooseheads were healthy. Um, and it's funny kind of looking at the Mooseheads heading into next year where their strength this year is offense, but they're losing quite a few of their main uh, offensive contributors um, and it could almost their strength next year could almost be flipped where um, their defense and goaltending is looking pretty solid given the experience they've had. And they looked really good um, in this long playoff run. Um, and, you know, certainly if they can add a few uh, pieces up front um, and other guys continue to step up and develop uh, that I could definitely see Halifax being back here next year. Um, and he, he kind of saw some of the younger players too. He saw uh, Furlong and Dume watching the celebration at the end. And, you know, those are things that, you know, you know, that that's going to stick in their mind. And if they can get back next year, they're going to remember um, of that feeling. And I, I, I think just uh, going through all that um, and, you know, having that new ownership group as well, that continues to say that they're committed to, to bring a championship here. I think all of that combined, I think that this team's going to be going to make a big push uh, next year, even though they are uh, missing some key pieces. Definitely. And, uh, no, I, I, I agree with pretty much all of that. You know, Furlong's back. You know, Cam, why, why not could be back as an overager on defense. Uh, Dylan McKinnon, who um, went from being, uh, you know, a, a kid learning the ropes, even into the beginning of this season, to a physical force, yeah. really. The most, when your most physical defenseman is a 17-year-old, yeah. As McKinnon was for the Mooseheads, then that's that's a feather in your cap to be sure. Um, he's going to be a force to be reckoned with. Justin and Schultz replace, force replace some of what Larue's Larue brought to right. Hundred percent, absolutely. Yeah. And I will say this much: for as much as we have commented on Zach Larue, and you know, and maybe it's there's a little bit of a soft spot there. We we talked about the the Tyler Long situation last week. Him and uh, Zach and Tyler are buddies. Maybe that's playing in a little bit. But at the end of the day, I, I think it's more just the fact that we saw Zach LaRue throughout this playoff run show everybody what he can do when he's uh, when he leaves the baggage behind, so to speak. When he just and, focuses yeah. on playing. And, and he's at, the most yeah. dominant guy out there at times. And look at who's one of the most talked about players in the NHL right now, Matthew Chuck. And LaRue yep. could very easily mold into the exact type of player that Matthew Chuck is. Absolutely. Couldn't agree more. And he has, you know, like I say, he has that ability. He can, he can, he can literally put a team on his back and he'll yep. be doing that. Unfortunately, you talk about subtractions, you know, um, he's a guy who will in all likelihood be doing it in the AHL next year um, with uh, Milwaukee. Uh, as part of the National Predators organization. But uh, I think, you know, despite the loss for a guy like LaRue, this, these last two months have been a learning learning experience that you're not going to get from the regular season or from practices. It's that real-life experience that, that that's going to translate potentially, hopefully for him, um, because he's fun to watch when he's on top of his game. Yeah. Hopefully it translates into a successful pro career. 
Um, moving, flipping back to the Quebec Rampart side, um, we're going to talk about, of course, them in Kamloops soon enough. Uh, they'll be uh, making their way out uh, to the Memorial Cup, which starts uh, Friday. By the time, if, if they're not there now, by the time uh, this drops, uh, likely tomorrow, they'll probably be already de- there for the uh, tournament. Uh, they start things off Friday night when they uh, face off against the host uh, Blazers. You catch that nine o'clock Eastern time or 10 o'clock Atlantic, but uh quick ne- uh, nod to, to, uh, first of all, if you're the Columbus blue jackets, you're probably pretty happy about what you saw in this, uh, in this series, Jordan Dume, who uh, didn't look himself when he came back uh, after injury in game three of the series, looked a lot more like himself as the series rolled on. He had three assists in the game six and, of course, James Malatesta, the winner of the Guy Lafleur Trophy as QMJHL Playoff MVP. Um, another Columbus draftee, five-game winners uh, in this playoff run. And uh, I don't know about you, Jamie, but for my money, a guy who every time he was on the ice, either he made something happen or he almost made something happen. I, I don't think I – like, he's one of those guys who – just wasn't taking a shift off at all. Not only that, uh, he was making an impact almost every time he hopped over the boards. And at this time of the year, to be able to do it against the level of competition and being banged up, you know what? Fully deserving of that award. Yeah, I mean, five game winners, that's that's crazy. Considering, especially mm-hmm. considering how uh, how smooth the Remparts run went. Um, you know, that's a, that's a crazy uh, number of game winning goals. But yeah, definitely... Definitely a, a playoff performer, a guy, like you said, Will, it seemed like every time he was on the ice, something happened. Um, and a guy who really like, set the tone for his team, um, you could really feel that some of the momentum shift at times when he was on the ice. So um, an excellent, excellent playoff for, for James Malatesta. Very worthy of the MVP trophy. Um, and certainly a guy who could be a huge player uh, next week at the Memorial Cup. And uh, before we uh, leave the uh, Q Championship talk, uh, I do got to ask you this one thing. Had the series gone to Game 7, and I'll even qualify it by saying, despite who won, whether it's the Rampart or whether it was the Mooseheads, who's your pick for MVP of the playoffs in that case? Does it change? Uh, well, I've had Justin Robita as my MVP. Um I think him and Malatesta are both good picks. Now, if Halifax had a one, I think, uh, you know, I think Mathis Russo would have been a good choice so that he had a really good playoff. Um, and Alexander Doucette, I thought, um, considering Dume left, I guess Lawrence, you could probably throw in there as well. But I think considering Dume left, um, considering Biasca got hurt, considering all the injuries that Moosehead went through, I thought Lawrence and Doucette really, uh, really carried this team. Um, and like we mentioned on the last show, <laughs> you know, we were mocking, I don't know if mocking is the right word, but we were criticizing the Mooseheads for, for doubling down on their strength at the trade deadline. And then those two guys end up probably being their best players in the playoffs. Yeah, definitely. And I was like you, I picked Robita as the MVP. Malatesta was my second choice. Had it gone to a game seven, I think no matter who would have won. And it's never happened in Q playoff history that a member of the losing side wins the really? playoff MVP. Okay. Never happened, but 
Um, I don't think it has. Why, you're going to go through the stats now and prove me wrong here. So as long as I've been watching the 1983, league, so, you don't remember 1983. <laughs> don't start. <laughs> okay. Since 1996, <laughs> it hasn't happened. But um, I would, I'd probably pick Mathis Russo. Just yeah. the fact that he, he got the team to a game six and then he played well enough to get them to a game seven. And the way he was bombarded for extended periods of time, Quebec held a territorial edge in a number of periods in that series. Mm -hmm. And what he did in the Sherbrooke series to get them to the final, I, I'd be picking Mathis Russo. You know, all due respect to anybody on the Quebec Grand Prix, he, he would have been my guy, uh, win or lose uh, in, uh, in a game seven. But uh, no doubt we'll be hearing plenty from him uh, next playoffs. But for now, we're going to talk about the Ramparts' next opponents. And now we get into the really heavy hitters. Um, as we mentioned, starts on Friday night in Kamloops. We get the Blazers, the host team. Uh, no slouches in their own right. Uh, the only non-league champion there, but they still made it to the third round of the playoffs out in the dub. Uh, I believe 48, 49 wins in the regular season. Yeah, they're good. Um, they're, they are very good. Um, from the OHLs, the Peterborough Peets, kind of the uh, the scrappy underdog, so to speak, uh, at this year's tournament. 11th overall in the O, uh, and they end up uh, going on an absolute tear in the playoffs, defeated the London Knights in the final, which I'm sure was, uh, was uh, to the joy of every OHL fan outside of London. Uh, and, of course, in the WHL, the, their champions, the absolute wagon that is the Seattle Thunderbirds just eye-popping roster of talent at all positions so uh Jamie uh, we know what Quebec's capable of uh, let's talk a little bit some of the players to watch from the Rampart for the benefit of everybody not familiar with the Q who could be watching this and also as hard as it is to uh to predict where do you think this team could could uh stand up uh, against these three formidable foes Yep. I well, Quebec. They're very well balanced. They're very good up front and on the back end. Uh, and they've got a lot of depth in both areas. They're they're big and they're experienced, um, but they've also got that skill. Uh, but we've seen them at times throughout the playoffs, especially in that Gatineau series, when when they have to get physical, they can really crank up the physical play. And I thought um, compared to Halifax, they're much more physical. Um, and I think that bodes well for them going to a tournament where there's two WHL teams, which as we know are typically more physical um, than the Eastern team. So I think that that bodes well for them. Uh, William Russo is a very good goaltender as well. Uh, two guys that are, are certainly going to be expected to perform up front. Justin Robin and James Malatesta had very good playoffs. Um, and their defense is going to be kind of interesting because we know that they're hurting a little bit. Nicholas Savoy, uh, who was very good in these playoffs, but he missed a couple games in the, in the third round. Uh, he's probably still hurting. Komarov and Trushan both missed some time as well. Um, and we know that they're both still hurting. So I think their defense is, is a, a little bit of a concern just health wise, even if they're all, uh, even if they're all going to dress, I, I don't know if they're going to be 100%, but they have a team up front that still plays well defensively. Um, so I think they're I think they're going to have a really good good shot at this tournament. We know Q teams have had very good success in recent years as well, um, but I don't know if we're going to get predictions here. But I think uh, I think Seattle Seattle has been my pick to win the Memorial Cup since uh, since the Christmas trade deadline. There, I think they have arguably arguably the best roster heading into this tournament that we've seen in, in recent memory. 
don't disagree with pretty much any of that. The one thing that I will say in terms of the Rampart, and I mean, we, we know what their strengths are, but um, one, but a couple of things that they are probably going to run into in this tournament that they did not run into as much. You mentioned the physicality uh, side uh, against Gatineau. Absolutely, Jamie, they're going to have to play a physical game, uh, which could grind on you know, guys like Savon Truchon, who have missed, missed some time. Um, now, you could balance that by saying, looking at a guy like Evan Noss and Thomas Darcy, uh, Darcy, especially more of a depth guy, but a guy who can be relied on for, you know, at least, you know, a dozen minutes a night. Both of those guys spend extended periods of time on, on uh, the injured reserve. So, uh, you know, maybe not quite as banged up or maybe able to uh, recover a little bit better than uh, some of their uh, fellow blue liners. Hard to say. And they've also got a guy in uh, Jeremy Langwell on the third pairing, an Arizona draft pick who uh, I found Patrick Wall really conserved his minutes throughout that playoff series. Yeah. He did uh, score uh, a big goal here uh, in, I believe it was game six. Um, he he was a threat, especially once he got to Quebec during the trade period after coming over from Cape Breton, was basically a threat more often than not offensively, especially uh, when he uh, took to the ice. And uh, as Patrick was said, uh, talking to him before the playoffs, uh, he basically gave Langlois given them more than he expected. He thought maybe some uh, a bit of uh, a leaky defensive uh, mindset, and wasn't the case at all. He's just he's in the right place now, I think. And uh, you know, hopefully, some of those those depth guys can uh, can rise to the occasion. It's going to be necessary no matter what in, in a best on best single game elimination sort of scenario, which yeah. of course the Memorial Cup gets to be once you get out of the round robin. Um, but, um, I think Quebec might have kind of a perfect storm that could allow them to weather, to weather that. Yeah. And as far as William Russo goes, um, again, going back to that Gatineau series, Jamie, uh, he's a guy who, uh, typically doesn't face a lot of shots. Um, you know, 20, 25 shots for William Russo in the regular season was a busy night. Um, and even in the final, like the Quebec's defense was able to shut down, um, from a shots on goal standpoint, the top offensive team in the league in the Halifax Mooseheads. But during the Gatineau series, um, Gatineau was still getting a lot of shots on net. And there were a couple of 40 save situations that William Russo had to rise to the occasion for against equally uh, lethal uh, scorers. And he accounted himself very well. And those were all close games as well, just like they were in the final. So it, to be able to change the mentality of being used to face, being used to face uh, fewer shots to possibly being peppered, and you look at a team like Seattle as the one the obvious choice when you talk about that, it could happen to him. Yeah. And I think he does have not only the right mentality but the right network of people behind him, led by arguably the king of uh, mental yeah. preparation in Patrick Waugh to, uh, to allow him to withstand that. So it's going to be very interesting to see. And as we've said throughout these playoffs, Patrick Waugh, for me, remains an X factor. I agree with you. I'm kind of picking Seattle here. Sorry to the Q guys. 
Uh, Seattle's just one of the best constructed teams we've I've ever seen, really, following this yeah. tournament for 30 years almost. Um, they're going to be very t- difficult to beat. But you know what? Don't count out the rampart because there's a few aces up their sleeve and there's quite a few aces up the sleeve of the guy who's running things behind the bench. Patrick Waugh's got Memorial Cup experience too. I think we a lot of us forget about mm-hmm. that. Almost almost twenty years ago yeah, now. We're, not we're if old, you live right? in Monk. Not if you live in Moncton, <laughs> you don't forget about it. <laughs> As I was back at the uh, at the time. Um, yeah, basically uh, coaxed the game of Cedric Desjardins' life out of him in the uh, final that afternoon. Um, but absolutely, and you know, talk about Patrick Waugh. What's he going to do next? Is this it for him? There's a little extra motivation, perhaps, behind that Quebec bench. So going to be interesting to see how it all plays down here and we will get to all the action starting Friday night. As we mentioned, the Rampar will face the Blazers in the tournament opener and uh, can't wait to see what happens. Um, one more note from the QMJHL playoffs was very interesting. It was Mikhail Lalancette um, on Twitter who uh, mentioned this and it's the attendance records over 400,000 fans attended 2023 playoff games that breaks the previous record that was set in 2006 when the Wildcats and the Rampart faced off in the President Cup final that year. Uh, Jamie, um, what are some of your thoughts when you uh, hear about some sort of record-breaking event like these most recently played playoffs? Well, I was actually a little bit surprised. I, I didn't really like clue in that we were approaching such a record um but i guess it makes sense with quebec and halifax making such big runs um quebec averaging uh 15,486 fans in the playoffs that's ridiculous um, that is uh, and the q has got to be thrilled and i'm sure the chl is thrilled because uh, this is the first uh quote-unquote normal playoffs since uh, since the pandemic um mm-hmm. so they've the, everyone's just got to be thrilled that huge crowds are back uh watching the playoffs and uh was it was just uh, just a year ago we were still uh still dealing with some of the uh the pandemic restrictions so uh mm-hmm. uh quite a bounce back uh, great for junior hockey yeah definitely and it really is a perfect storm it's funny you know uh i part of me was a little bit surprised to find, to see this uh, as a record-breaking year given the fact that there was only one game seven the entire yeah. playoff run it's true too uh, Bay Camo and Moncton, one of the most sparsely attended series, ironically. Oh, I heard that before. <laughs> and it, yeah, yeah. I don't know. I, I, I have to check my memory against the statistics uh, when I get a minute. But, uh, you know, uh, the only seven-game series, everything else was six or less. But, obviously, it doesn't hurt when your two biggest arenas are hosting the, the final uh, between Quebec and Halifax. Uh, Quebec, uh, Quebec 2023 versus 2006. They go from sitting in, I believe the uh, the old Coliseum was about a fifteen thousand seat arena, yep. to an eighteen thousand seat arena. That certainly helps the cause. So just uh, yeah, a perfect storm and people getting out from COVID. I know even just going to games uh, uh, casually um, during the season, just people were just enjoying getting out, and uh, which is great to see. And hopefully that trend continues. And you know maybe hopefully uh, hockey fans uh, that have the queue in their backyard. Um, have a new appreciation as they should have maybe a new appreciation for just things in general, not taking yeah. them for granted after being you know, walled up for you know, upwards of two years. So excellent work by all the fans. And you know, we hope to see you back uh, next year. It's a great product. 
always something new and exciting uh, going on in a queue rink near you. And one thing too, Will, uh, someone that a friend of mine mentioned too, uh, the Mooseheads that we didn't really talk about, the Mooseheads probably had more Mm -hmm. season ticket holders this year as well, because a lot of people would have bought them for the the World World Juniors. Juniors. So I'm sure that that also probably helped their uh, playoff attendance quite a bit too. Yep. And I'm sure the attendance is uh, not going to hurt next year because we already know the few uh, initiatives that the Simon family, the new owners of the team, are going to be implementing. I believe they're calling it the year of the student next year. Um, Did I see that correctly? $94. Year of the fan, fan, yes. $94 uh, season tickets, I believe, to students, if I'm not mistaken. Um, So it's going to be interesting. And uh, it's going to be exciting, actually. It's... it's, uh, you know, um, one of the most exciting nights in uh, Halifax is usually like university night because it's just it just adds adds a different. Well, I mean, there's a there's there's, there's a few reasons, but uh, yeah, uh, that uh, I, I don't know how appropriate it is for this uh, podcast. But uh, you know, I mean, if you're only spending ninety four dollars on uh, season tickets, that leaves you maybe more money for concessions. Uh, so uh, I'm a, you know, We'll call it concessions. Um, so, uh, uh, you know, it just adds, to, it gives more, maybe more of a carnival-like atmosphere. So it's going to be interesting to see what happens specifically down here in, in the league throughout uh, 23-24. Speaking of things in the league in 23-24, we might see a familiar face coming back. Uh, Guy Boucher, of course, the uh, President Cup winner with the Drumville Voltigeur back in 2009, rumored to be going to Rimouski. Um, there's been comments uh, from the uh, ownership of the Oceanic and the uh, governors there that uh, they would certainly welcome McGee back if he was interested. Of course, Serge Beausoleil, their longtime coach and GM, was uh, let go on April 24th of this year. Um, Guy hasn't coached since 2019, and he was uh, let go by the Ottawa Senators. So, uh, Jamie, uh, what are your thoughts? Can a guy of that caliber back, especially to a team in Ramuski that's on the rise? Yeah, it'd be awesome. I think, especially you know, a character like Guy Boucher coming back to the league would be great, especially with uh, Patrick Waugh potentially leaving. Um, Mm Kind of help help get our fix of uh, colorful coaches back here. Uh, (laughs) uh, But yeah, it really seems like the Oceanic are are taking some swings here for a head coach heading into this uh, this drive for the 2025 Memorial Cup. Uh, You know, the the same reports were kind of indicating that they've looked at uh, Dom Ducharme as well. Um, so Ramuski is really taking some swings for this, this big run they want here. Um, and certainly it's got a little bit funny that they're looking at Boucher just because, you know, if, if you need, I mentioned this to you, Will, if, if you need a more defensive minded coach than Serge Beausoleil, I guess you're going to get uh, a key Boucher. <laughs> this is true. Now, I mean, I'll, I'll give Guy some credit when he coached in Drummondville. Um, he definitely coached to the team he had in front of That's him. That's true. Yeah. That team had like Yannick Rando, Danny Massey, Mike Hoffman, who we're going to talk about here in a in a second, along with thirty two of his friends. Um, but uh, you know, really high octane offense guys, and he played to that strength. Christy Domenico, of course, who you remember from the Sea Dogs. Um, so he can play to the offense, but yeah. you know, his defensive numbers were so great by default, just because they had the puck all the time. So yeah. sort of like the Mooseheads this year, they they you know they registered great numbers. They had good defensemen, but when you're playing the possession game, you know, that, that certainly yep. helped. But as you said, once they got, once uh, Guy got to the NHL and, you know, 
became the world's biggest fan of the one three one formation and all this fun stuff in Tampa. He definitely showed his true uh, defensive chops. So uh, he would definitely be playing to uh, he'd be preaching to the choir in Ramuski, I guess, best way to put it. And if he was to go there, of course, it'd be a second stint there as he was an assistant coach when uh, during the Sidney Crosby era. 2003 to 2006 before moving on to uh, win it all with the Volts. Um, so we talked about one guy potentially coming back to the league. Uh, let's talk about a guy who, um, well, I guess he's leaving the league, but uh, as of seven days ago, he wasn't. Uh, Louis Robitaille, uh, you may have heard on here and seen in d- different uh, media outlets that uh, last week he was coming back to finish out year four of his four-year contract. Well, um uh, Connor, can we go back and delete things from recorded podcasts? Because uh, uh, that's not happening now. He has been let go, uh, and then not not to make too much light of the situation, but he has been let go of the Gatineau Olympic. And you know, uh, you know, joking aside, uh, I, the first thing I thought of, and Jamie, you, you're the one who sent me the clip or sent me the news uh, article that uh, that this was happening from players uh, um, from Le Devoir, if I'm not mistaken. Uh, the, uh, no, I don't have a time machine, Connor. Sorry, bud. Um, my main thing here is, huh? Like, yeah. What happened? <laughs> <laughs> well, you know, if, if, if this had happened, you know, a week or two after the season, and I think, okay, I think, I think we can kind of understand that maybe they want someone else to kind of lead this rebuild. Um, but to leave them in place, it really felt like they were content with having Robitaille, uh, uh, run this team for the next year, as we mentioned last week, but obviously something um, significant in their, the way their, their board thinks um, heading into next season. Uh, so definitely it's surprising news. Um, and it's so close to the draft too. You, you almost wonder if they mm. have a replacement in mind and uh, you almost have to think that the replacement must know the league pretty well. You'd have to think. Um, to do it this what are you saying Jamie yeah, I'm just saying I'm just saying Serge <laughs> Beausoleil is available <laughs> yep but we'll see there we go and, uh, they've also got and they've also got uh, a guy as an assistant coach there who's uh, been in a head coach before and Darren Rumble um, mm-hmm. so you know in theory they could possibly find replacements quite quickly uh, but we'll see how this plays out but again to do this so close to the draft um, is is a, a little bit unusual I, I just uh, I the thing that kind of dumbfounds me on top of that is what what how did we go from I'm you're finishing out the fourth year of your contract to you're gone in yeah. seven days like this isn't it isn't just that we you know we're not just mentioning it for the sake of mentioning it seven days ago there was an article in the same publication saying that he's back he's our guy. You know, essentially, we want to start a rebuild with him because that's what's going to happen in Gatineau. And all of a sudden, it's, yeah. So something, obviously, something is being unsaid here. You don't just make this decision without, I mean, if you're making this decision without a good plan in place, you're getting what you deserve at the end. Uh, If what you get is not up to snuff for you. But I don't think that's necessarily the case. And I do know that there is... um, there's a, an advisory board uh, in Gatineau as opposed to, you know, a sole, a sole owner situation like, you know, Robert Irving in Moncton, for example, or, or, or something like that. There's, there's a group of nine uh, who have to 
you know come to some sort of consensus on who's going to who's going to come in. But uh, and you know maybe it's a situation where seven days ago uh, Serge Beausoleil either was not available or he was not confirming, and all of a sudden he was. With, to which if that's what happened, you know I get it. You want to make a switch. It doesn't surprise me that Gatineau wants to make a switch. To be honest with you. It's and that's not a knock against Louis, who I think very highly of. He's a get, former guest on this show, and he's a pretty straight shooter. But what are you doing? Like, what, what's your methodology here? That's the thing that stumps me. We're going to find out soon enough because um, we, yeah. we've got we, we've got three weeks to the draft. Yeah. Um, we're going to find out sooner rather than later what exactly Gatineau's got up their sleeve. But if it does turn out to be Serge Beausoleil, I'm sorry, I can't help but feel a little bit disappointed in that organization for yeah. playing it out the way that they did. You know, just, yeah. you know, if, sure. if, if the guy you really want is not committing, either you dance with the guy who brought you or you cut ties with him, don't string anybody along and make make the best out of whatever you end up with going into the draft. It just, yeah. it's a bad look. Yeah. Is, uh, is Brent Shanahan on this board or? Um, <laughs> I don't know what you mean. Uh, sorry. Sorry. I'm too busy watching the Q finals. Something happened in Toronto this week. Oh, okay. Connor, 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 you, uh, you can jump into the chat off to the side there. Let me know. Uh, let me know uh, what's going on. No comment. Okay, well, I'm assuming something. Nothing happened then, I guess. Okay, okay good enough then. Hey, hey maybe, yeah, maybe somebody from Toronto is going to Gatineau. Wouldn't that be a hell of a story? Uh, so that I'd be. Hey, he's got junior. He's got junior experience. Kyle Dubas, you know, Sault Ste. Marie Greyhound legend. But anyway, um, we will find out what's going on in Western Quebec sooner rather than later. I am sure. And speaking of Western Quebec, let's talk about. Our 2023 QMJHL Draft Prospect of the Week, because that's where he comes from. It's Benjamin Brunel, right winger from the Huskies, who just completed a solid rookie season, uh, Jamie, with the Huskies. He's ranked 186 in the latest CSR rankings, in the final CSR rankings, I should say. And just not a guy who's getting a lot of points yet, but still getting used to the league and seems to be pretty pretty responsible all three zones. Yeah, and uh, a 2021 draft pick of the Huskies in the fourth round. So uh, only played in six games in his rookie year last year. Uh, got in a playoff game as well, but uh, put up pretty good numbers in his first full season in the queue. Uh, 23 points in 67 games uh, and another four points in nine playoff games. So not not too bad <clears throat> in, a, in its draft year. Um, but a player who's uh, believed to be coming into the league anyway as a two-way forward. Uh, so maybe not shocking to see those numbers not, you know, flying off the page yet. Uh, but certainly a player who's responsible in his own end. And I, I would think that that's probably going to get some attention of some NHL teams. Um, and as he gets older, he'll probably start to produce some more points as well. Uh, pretty big guy. He's listed at 6'3", 187, but he's still a pretty good skater as well for someone that size. So um, like you mentioned, not a guy who's getting a lot of attention, but could be a, a good late round pick for a team uh, next month. And somebody I could also see, um, you know, and you see it all the time, uh, Jamie, uh, a guy who maybe doesn't get picked the first time around, yep. but, you know, gets that sure. solid second season under his belt. And all of a sudden he's on more and more guys' radar. You know, we see, you know, we'll, there's a good chance we'll see a guy like Justin Gill out of Sherbrooke drafted this year. Well, Justin went through two drafts 
and now he's uh, third times potentially the charm. He's he's on the rankings. A uh, guy like Maxime Pellerin in uh, in Victoriaville, another guy who's gone gone through the process a couple of times without really even getting any notoriety. So could very well be the case here for Benjamin Brunel. Maybe maybe somebody wants to take a flyer on him this year though, just knowing that he's got that strong base behind him, but. Uh, certainly uh, a big part of the future in Rouen Naranda. They had a very good season this year uh, and uh, whatever, if they can put a third trophy in the uh, case, a third uh, league championship trophy in the case there uh, up uh, at the uh, I am gold arena, then I'm sure Benjamin would be a big part of that. So we're going to leave the uh, the best for last here. It's the NHL team profile. And I had this one circled on my calendar for, uh, well, since we started this show, because uh, we could probably, we, prob- we probably should could have, have been strategizing. Yeah. Probably should have started it back then, exactly. I wanted to dedicate two minutes per player to this, uh, to this segment. But, you know, producers always think they know best. So instead of spending the next 66 minutes talking about all the Q prospects in the Montreal Canadian system. We're going to get a little bit selective here. Um, and there are 33 players to the shock of nobody. I mean, we knew, we knew this was coming, uh, but uh, let's uh, quickly start off from the Q and two of the biggest names in the Q, you know, Montreal yeah. building up that uh, prospect uh, bullpen. You know, they have the number one, number five pick in the draft this year. Uh, they've got, you know, the, the, the Cole Caulfields and the Slavkovskis coming yep. up the pipe now. And they've got a couple guys in junior this year who are very much, very much planning on being in that mix and Riley Kidney and Josh Wawa. Yeah. And Kidney, <laughs> like a ridiculous second half, 65 points yes. in 29 games. That's just ridiculous. It's a really good playoff run too. Um, Certainly interesting to see where he plays next year. Now, a second round pick of Montreal, you'd probably think he'd be penciled into the AHL, but I, I've seen some people say that the Habs system is just so loaded right now. Um, he might have to start in the ECHL and kind of work his way up from there. So we'll see uh, where Kidney ends up next year. Now, Joshua Waugh, um, presumably his junior career is done. Um, and what an eventful junior career, really. I would go, I wouldn't call him a bust in his first couple of years, but for, certainly an underwhelming first couple of years ended up really sliding in the NHL draft goes in the fifth round to Montreal, but maybe one of the steals of the NHL draft now, 119 points last year, 99 points this year, back-to-back world junior gold medals. But I think the thing that sticks out most about was how good he is defensively um, his work on the penalty kill. We definitely saw that the world juniors as well. So certainly a guy who um, has the potential to have a really good pro career, um, and I think the thing about Waz, he's he's definitely locked into the to Laval next year. I think the question is, is he going to push to maybe make the Habs out of training camp? Is is the real question there? My my bold prediction: um, he plays NHL games next yeah. year. Maybe not right out of camp, yep. but um, I think you know injuries, call ups, whatnot. You know, you could could have made a case to have him up there this <laughs> Honestly, year. The number yeah. of injuries that were made that were that occurred. Um, so, I mean, no, but I think, and I, I honestly don't think that's much of a bold prediction just from what we've seen it, uh, from Joshua Wah in the playoffs this year, in the world juniors, the last couple of rounds, I just, what he's done basically since he landed in Sherbrooke, he's, he is more of a total package than a lot of people gave him credit for. And he went from being a mucker and a grinder in his first couple world junior games to being 
the guy setting up Dylan Gunther for the gold yep. medal winner in in uh, tournament number two for him. So that tells you everything you need to know about the versatility of Joshua Wah and the Montreal Canadiens are going to benefit from that. Yep. No question. Um, AHL, we're going to be selective here. We're into double digit players. Uh, gonna, I, I can't continue this without talking about two guys, really, that, that I'd pick out. Um, one of them saw a substantial action in Montreal and I think will stick with the NHL team for most, if not all, the next season. Raphael Harvey Pinard, a guy who just, you know, the ultimate guy you want to cheer for. And uh, the other guy is another, uh, the other guy is another, you know, small of stature sort of guy, big on heart, but love watching him play for five years in the queue. Hope he gets a chance in the NHL at some point. Definitely going to be a top scorer in Laval next year, Xavier Seaman. Yeah, and you know what's interesting about Simono and William Trudeau, Pierre Dubé as well, all guys who played in the league final last year. So uh, mm-hmm. very, re- very young guys. And you look at this roster; like, there's a lot of younger players here too. Um, yeah. So definitely a lot of uh, recent Q graduates that could play big, big roles in Laval next year. Yeah. Um, and if if <laughs> things don't go well in Montreal again this year, we'll probably or next year we'll probably see some time in the NHL as well. Yep, definitely. And just quickly, I'm not, I'm not going to do it, Connor. I'm not going to name everyone, but I am just going to mention this. Uh, players who spent con- uh, any amount of time with Laval this year. Anthony Richard, Peter Abandonado, Gabriel Bork, Pierre Dubé, Raphael harvey Pinard, Joel Teasdale, Olivier Gallipo, and all players who have won a league title in the queue, either a President mm-hmm. Cup or a Memorial Cup. And then two more that have uh, appeared in the final in Simono and William Trudeau as well, who may unexpectedly made the jump this year. Um, 12 every year in the ECHL, a number of guys from all walks of life uh, who uh, have uh, suited up for that team uh, this year. I, I will quick shout out because, I mean, I got you here with me, Jamie. I can't not mention Ryan Francis, of course, Memorial Cup winner last year with the Sea Dogs and a guy that I know you think rather highly of. Uh, good to see him have a successful first pro season. Yeah, and also a guy who saw some time uh, in Laval at a few moments this year because of injuries, and everyone kind of got bumped up. So a guy who uh, benefited from uh, from some of that playing time. Yeah. And finally, we'll talk about uh, some of the NHL uh, guys uh, that are Q alumni. Uh, and again, you know, these are interchangeable. Harvey Pinard's not on this list. Samuel Richard's not on this list, but they did see. Sometime, the case of Harry Pinard, he saw a considerable time in the in the NHL, but he finished the year in Laval, so that's where he's listed just on our little missive here. But uh, seven guys uh, officially on the NHL roster right now, and uh, you know the, the three guys that that stand out here: Mike Hoffman, former QMJHL MVP. David Savard, a President Cup winner in uh, Moncton and a Defenseman of the Year in the CHL. And I got to mention Jake Allen because this is the one and only time I think we can mention the St. John's Fog Devils. Oh, yeah. I was actually thinking about that too. Also a St. Yes. Stephen native. That's right. And yes. uh, there you go. Yeah. Stanley Cup champion with the Blues and also uh, puts on a, a great golf tournament for uh, yes. charity uh, every summer in Fredericton, New Brunswick. Yeah. So, uh, no lack of talent in the HAB system, as you would expect coming from the queue. It's uh, sort of a rite of passage. Um, and of course, you know, starting from Gila Fleur all the way on 
and in the years to come. Uh, if you want to see Q talent uh, at the pro level, go to Montreal. You will see it every single game. So that about does it for us. Uh, big week ahead, of course. The Memorial Cup about to start out in Kamloops. There's always news flying around uh, outside of uh, that tournament uh, in the QMJHL circles. And we'll be here to bring it all to you in one week's time. For Jamie Tozer, I'm Will McClare. And thanks once again for watching THN on the Q. Brought to you by BetMGM.